You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine at University of Illinois at Chicago, Dr. Jay Goldstein. How can GI physicians address the nutritional needs of their patients to help lower the risk of obesity and related gastrointestinal disorders? With us today to discuss nutrition and obesity, the expanding role of the gastroenterologist, is my co-host for GI Insights, Dr. Mark DeLegge. He is Professor of Medicine and Director of the Digestive Disease Center at the University Medical Hospital of South Carolina. Dr. DeLegge wrote many of the materials now available at the AGA website, that's gastro.org, related to this problem. It's intended to educate gastroenterologists about their role in addressing the important issue of nutrition and obesity. Welcome, Mark. Hey, thank you. It's great to be on the other side. I know that all our listeners have listened to your voice asking the questions. Now you're going to be giving the answers. I'll do my best. All righty. Obesity, an ever-expanding problem, huh? It's a huge problem, and I don't say that lightly, but I say it's a huge problem from the perspective of just the overall growth in obesity that's occurred in the United States, but, but across the world over the past decade has been phenomenal. We woke up and suddenly realized that there were many, many states that had some problems with obesity, other states that had a little more of a problem. And frankly, now, when you look at the map of the United States, most every state has a huge problem with obesity, and that's in both adults and pediatrics. Let's get a definition here. We use the word obese and obesity, but what are we really talking about? You know, usually when we talk about obesity, we refer back to the body mass index, which is your weight in kilogram over your height in meters squared. And uh, if your BMI is greater than 30, uh, you're considered to be obese. If it's greater than 25, uh, you're considered to be overweight. And then as you move up from 30 to 35 and 35 to 40, you move up into higher uh, obesity classes where the risk of medical complications and your risk for death with medical complications increases. So Typically, when we talk about the obese patient, we're referring to somebody with a BMI of 30 or greater. Since our, many of our listening audience are gastroenterologists, how many do you think are actually recording BMIs on their medical records? Yeah, that's a great question, and I can say probably very few. And I just went back and did a retrospective analysis at my own institution. Now, it's a tertiary medical center looking at all GI visits. This is both gastroenterology and liver disease. And uh, we looked at BMIs and saw that we recorded BMIs in about 55 to 60% of the charts, which was not bad, not nearly as good as we wanted. But more shockingly is that when we saw that obesity had occurred, meaning that someone had a BMI of, we'll say, 30 or 35 or even 40, that when you look through the note from the gastroenterologist, only rarely did they sit back and say that there was an issue with obesity or that there was any plan at all to treat the obesity or at least to address it. We're very good about doing endoscopy for reflux disease or perhaps uh, doing a liver biopsy or making a diagnosis of NASH. 
But when you really look through how we approach obesity as a gastroenterologist, we do a very poor job. Well, you know, I'm in a consultative practice, and I get very few referrals for obesity. I get a lot more for GERD, and I got a lot more for colon cancer screening. And when I talk to my primary care colleagues, they think it's their problem to deal with. Do you agree with that? You know, I don't agree with that. And the reason I say that is for two very big reasons. Number one is the primary care doctor has their plate pretty full as it is. And sure, they're on the front lines and they are able to identify people who are overweight or obese. But when you really get down to the nitty-gritty, when you talk about who the gastroenterologist is, we're the doctors of the digestive system. And frankly, this is an issue of the digestive system and probably the neurological system, among others. But we should be prepared to handle these patients And to do that, we should be well-schooled or be able to know what's happening in the world of nutrition. I feel like nutrition and gastroenterology is a marriage and a marriage that needs to be solidified. The AGA has taken this on as a primary fight. Can you tell us a little bit about that? The AGA realized that obesity has become a huge problem. And just from the perspective of being a physician group, whether it's gastroenterologist in this particular instance, they sat up and said, look, we know we're seeing patients who are obese and overweight. Obviously, we're going in the wrong direction. Our members aren't really well trained in how to take care of these patients because, frankly, most of the GI fellowship programs that are in existence today don't really have a lot of education in the identification and treatment of obesity and therefore something needs to change. And so they developed an obesity task force, and this task force was charged with coming up with a plan for reintroducing or perhaps for the first time introducing the topic of obesity for gastroenterologists, but to do it in a series that would allow them to slowly assimilate the information and also have access to information that they normally wouldn't get through the AGA. Can you give us some examples of how the AGA is actually taking this thought to action? Yes. One of the prime examples is something called the Nutrition Toolkit Series. And this is a series of modules that the AGA has put together that are PowerPoint presentations but with voice overlay They all run about 20 to 25 minutes, and they are embedded with various websites and tools that the gastroenterologist can use in their everyday practice to approach problems that patients have that are nutrition-related. The very first module was on obesity, and this particular module starts off with some pretest questions rolls into a very elaborate module that runs for about 20 to 25 minutes, and then it ends up with some post-test questions, and there are CME credits which are attached to this. The reason I think this is such a great idea is because when you walk through this module, you suddenly realize how complex this disorder is, but more importantly, you realize that as a gastroenterologist, You only know a little bit about this topic, but amazingly, 
they're able to transmit a great deal of information such as how important is BMI, how important is waist circumference, what therapies are available, what things do we need to know about associated with these therapies, and to do it in a very concise manner so you walk away from this and you feel pretty good about at least having a basic knowledge of training in obesity. I'm assuming that this is available at the AGA standard website, gastro.org? It is available on the gastro.org website. The primary audience for these modules were gastroenterology fellows. And the reason behind this was that we felt that most GI fellowship training programs, again, did not have had a lot of education with regards to obesity, amongst other GI nutrition topics. But the entire module system, as it becomes rolled out, will address other topics in nutrition also. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Goldstein, and joining me to discuss nutrition and obesity, the expanding role of the gastroenterologist, is my co-host for GI Insights, Dr. Mark DeLeggi, who is also Professor of Medicine and Director of the Digestive Disease Center at the Medical University of South Carolina. Mark, uh, we've gone over the rationale a little bit for uh, addressing this problem. What specific treatments are in the realm of gastroenterology, in your opinion? The gastroenterologist, I think, can approach us from a multitude of directions and actually with a forward-thinking direction in addition. First of all, when we talk about medical therapy for obesity management, generally we're talking about some sort of dietary management, meaning specifically getting somebody on, we'll say, a low-fat diet or a low-carb diet. And most gastroenterologists that I know would look at you like you had two heads about how am I supposed to know what to suggest and talking about portion sizes for patients who have failed medical therapy, such as dietary counseling and also portion size counseling, exercise counseling. The gastroenterologist needs to become familiar with the medications that are associated with weight loss, meaning those that are appetite suppressants. And there are three current drugs available that can do that, that are included in that module that we discussed. So they have to have a pretty firm grip around the medical management and the toolkit series I discussed provides the tools so you can really educate your patients very easily about topics that perhaps you didn't know much about previously. And Jay, you know that for patients who fail medical weight loss therapy, I didn't really throw in the behavioral management component, but that also could be a component. The next option would be surgical therapy. In the surgical therapy, with some of the more common procedures being the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass and the laparoscopic band, they have a new one, not too new really, called the uh, sleeve gastrectomy. All these procedures are procedures that the gastroenterologist needs to be familiar with, not so much because they're going to be performing them, because they need to know when to refer the patient, but also they end up being on the receiving end of dealing with the complications of the surgery, such as stomal stenosis with Roux-en-Y gastric bypass, or even significant vitamin or mineral deficiency 
seen after a complicated gastric bypass surgery. I know that in many institutions, it's the surgeons who are leading this fight for obesity well above internal medicine and gastroenterology in particular. I think that they're more advocating surgical intervention. Is that a, a first step or a second step? It's a second step. I mean, there are certain criteria where it's a first step. For instance, if you have somebody who comes in, has a BMI of 45 and a high blood pressure, diabetes, and uh, has a history of blood clots, I mean, that's a medical emergency. This patient's going to need aggressive weight loss management very quickly, and that may be a patient who falls into immediate surgical intervention, although that's a very small group. In general, I think the surgeons are very good at what they do. They may be a little biased with regards to the fact that the surgical option is the only option. To date, when we look through the data, the surgical options have been pretty well proven in the medical literature with regards to three- and five-year outcomes. I will say, though, where I see the role changing here drastically over the next five years and where we as gastroenterologists really need to be prepared is in the whole developing role of endoscopic therapies for obesity. You remember, Jay, the Garin balloon. That was a device that we were placing in patients to lose weight. Uh, the results with that were fair. There were some complications, and the device was pulled from the market. The interesting thing, when you go back and look at that, was that the devices were being placed by gastroenterologists with very little or absolutely no dietary counseling, no behavioral management, no exercise management in this same population, and we were expecting to see good results. So, you know, with the fact that, do I think gastroenterologists need to be involved on the forefront? Absolutely. Do they need to be involved in helping surgeons make good decisions and helping take care of their patients afterwards? Absolutely. More importantly, we are going to be on the front lines with endoscopic therapy, and we need to take care of the whole patient. That's what we were trained to do, wasn't it? Absolutely. That's exactly what we were trained to do, not just do an endoscopic procedure. I would like to thank you very much for being my guest and co-host on ReachMD. I thoroughly enjoyed this from Medical University of South Carolina, Dr. Mark DeLegge. Thank you very much for being our guest. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. You've been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA.